Hey friends, welcome to This Good Word, episode 30. Every week we look at one word in an attempt to reclaim what's holy about our humanity. So all the gritty, dirty, clean, beautiful, ugly truth about who we are in the world, we're going to talk about. We've talked about all kinds of different words over the past 30 weeks. But the word this week is maybe my favorite. The word this week is you. In today's episode, I want to encourage you to own who you are and what you bring. I would like to inspire you that who you actually are is a necessary and beautiful piece to the new creation that God is at work building at this very moment. I want to tell some stories of some of the ways in which I've been living this reality out, owning who I am, and ways in which I've been encouraged to do that over the years. And I want to tell you a story of a woman in the scriptures who owned who she was and the effect that that had on the world. Before we do that, I want to give a shout out to a book that I'm reading right now. Uh, I, you know, one of the fun parts of being an author is that every once in a while you get a hold of books before they come out and you get them in what is called the advanced reader copy, the ARC copy of the books. And they're, um, you know, it looks like a, looks like a book, but it's a little unedited. And anyway, my friend Addie Zierman, she wrote a book called When We Were on Fire, uh, in 2013, brilliant book. Uh, just kind of detailing the evangelical world in which she grew up as a high school student and the ways in which uh, her adult life couldn't handle uh, anymore some of the platitudes, some of the cliches, some of the weirdness of what she learned as a student, as a teenager. And her memoir, her first memoir, When We're on Fire, is brilliant. But her second book, Night Driving, which comes out March 15th, is equally as brilliant, maybe even better. So I want to give a shout out to my friend Addie. Addie, you are a writer. You are making it happen. You are owning who you are, and I love it. So I'm going to put the link to this new book on my show notes. It's called Night Driving by Addie Zierman. She is a Minnesota author, and she's doing some great work in the world. So that's what I want to say before I get into this week's word. So this week's word is you, and where I want to go first is by examining this story found in John chapter 12. So the Gospel of John, the story of Jesus is written in four different um, narratives, also called Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Each of them have their own little focuses, foci, I guess is the right word. Um, There are some differences between the Gospels, and some people try to sort of explain them away and saying, no, they really are all say the same thing. I like to think of them as um, four different people looking at the life of Jesus with four different personalities. And of course, there are going to be some differences in the way in which they see each story. And that's part of what makes it so beautiful. I think we really miss the point when we try to make every, every person say the same exact thing about how they see Jesus working in the world. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, four different stories about the life and times of Jesus and how they lived through it. And John is a particularly, John might be my favorite of the four Gospels, but he writes a story 
And the story starts that it is six days before the Passover. So we are heading into just about the week before Jesus is going to be crucified, before he is assassinated. And so we're getting down to it. And they're heading into Jerusalem. They know they're heading into some danger, and they head in anyway. And this story picks up, and it's very bizarre that it's even included, but that's part of what I love it as well. So they're they're coming to Jerusalem for Passover, and what we know about Passover is it happens once a year, and it's the time when the Jews commemorate the time when God liberated them from slavery in Egypt. So it's a big festival and people would absolutely invade Jerusalem. Hundreds of thousands of people. Every hotel room is booked. Every bed is slept in. And in this story, Jesus and his followers and three of his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, are having dinner at a guy's house named Simon the Leper. Now, pause. I love that Jesus and his friends are having dinner at a house named, at at the house of a person named Simon the leper. What would it be like to be defined by a disease that might kill you? We don't know if Jesus maybe healed this person. Certainly, they were friends. And so Simon wanted to put on a party. And so he did. So he invites Jesus, his disciples, and his dear friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And in this story, we read a very, very bizarre thing. And that is that in the middle of the party, in the middle of dinner, Mary breaks open a bottle of perfume We read it's a pound of pure nard, which is worth about 300 denarii, which people say is about a year's worth of wages. So a lot of money, very expensive. We're not exactly sure how she got this. Maybe she was independently wealthy. I don't know. But in whatever case, she decides to open up this bottle of very expensive perfume and pour it over the feet of Jesus. And then she dries his feet with her hair. And then it says in the scriptures, the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So I want to ask a couple of questions. When was the last time you did something unreasonable, but something that your passionate heart demanded that you had to do? I'm not exactly sure why Mary decided to buy this perfume. Maybe it was handed down to her. Maybe it was her dowry from a wedding that was not going to happen, perhaps. We don't know, but what we do know is she made the decision to pour this perfume on the feet of Jesus in a kind of wasteful, extravagant, unbelievable gesture of love. I don't know whether she did it impetuously. 
I don't know whether she thought about this for a couple of years and then picked the moment. In whatever mysterious reason she has for doing it, all we know is that she does it. She decides that what she wants to do with this unbelievably expensive gift is to pour it all out on the feet of Jesus. And the result is that the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So another question. In the rooms that you inhabit, whether it be at work or at home or studying with your roommates, whatever room that you inhabit, what is it that you do that when you give it away, it fills the whole room with the fragrance of life? Do you know what I'm talking about here? What do you have in your possession which if you just had the courage to open it up and pour it out, you would fill the room with unbelievable fragrance, the fragrance of life. What is it for you that if you had the courage to do it, would bless the room like that? For Mary, she had a pound of pure nard and she poured it over the feet of Jesus. And it's interesting that the reaction, so Judas Iscariot, the disciple who eventually betrays Jesus, has a reaction. And he says, shouldn't that perfume be sold so that it could be given to the poor? And this is a really reasonable objection to what Mary does. I mean, it makes total sense that he would say that. Other people in the room that are followers of Jesus might be thinking it, might be thinking that her act of passion feels a little inappropriate, maybe a lot inappropriate, unbelievably wasteful, and it could have been used to feed hundreds and hundreds of poor people. Unbelie- I mean, just very reasonable. The fact that Judas Iscariot, who's going to later betray Jesus, brings it up, doesn't take away from the fact that, you guys, this is what happens when you decide to pour out your true extravagant gift in a room. You will be met with someone who has a reasonable reason that you shouldn't give it away. That doesn't make sense. That's extravagant. No one's really going to want that. Oh my gosh, what cheek you have to be able to do that. How do you know that Jesus is even not going to be embarrassed by that? How do you know he's even going to accept that? And I don't think she knew that he would. I just think she had something that she had to do. There was something inside of Mary that was so big that she had to own. She had to own what was inside of her and give it away. And so after the reaction that Judas has, Jesus looks at him and he says these three words, leave her alone. Basically, he says, Judas, shut up. (laughs) 
He says, she bought this perfume so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. And then Jesus says, you will always have the poor, but you will not always have me. And you got to know when he said that, I mean, I imagine the room must have gone deadly quiet because who says that? I mean, this seems... This seems even more unbelievable than Mary pouring their perfume over his feet. What is he saying? That he is more important than the poor? I mean, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. And yet Jesus was owning who he was. He was about to lay his life down for the good of the whole world. And he recognized a passionate follower of his, Mary, wanting to do something for him that would make his gift smell sweet. That would allow him perhaps to own who he was in the world in a little bit more of a bold way. Mary was owning the gift that she had and she was breaking it open, pouring it over the feet of Jesus wiping his feet with her hair and un, just not really caring about what the reaction would be. She's a smart person. She knows that there's going to be a negative reaction, but she does it anyway. There will always be someone with a good reason why you shouldn't own your gift. And what I want to say in this podcast is you got to reach way down deep and own it anyway. You got to think long and hard about what is it that you own, that you have, that you've been keeping to yourself, that if you opened it up and poured it out, it would be a fragrance that would fill the room in which you inhabit. What is it for you? Like I said in the beginning of my podcast, my friend Addie, she's a writer. When she bleeds all over the page, it makes the room smell beautiful. I have another friend. Her name's Lois, and she is the director of the Hennepin County Library System. She commands a budget of about $8 million. It's a lot of money, it's a huge staff. And she's one of my friends, and she is a great leader. And when she leads well, according to the person that she is, she's a leader, she's passionate, and when she does it, she brings a sweet fragrance to the whole room. Doesn't mean everyone agrees with her. Doesn't mean that every decision she makes is the right one. But when she owns her gift, her leadership gift, a sweet fragrance is poured out all over the room. I have two friends. They have just, uh, they're two pastors that live in Louisville. And Matt is a pastor of a predominantly white church. And Jamel is a pastor of a predominantly black church. And they've just recently decided through, I think, the leading of God to combine their two churches. And they've called this new church One Church. And it is this beautiful, messy, 
unbelievably gorgeous picture of the body of Jesus Christ in all of its multi-ethnic uh, glory. It's hard to do this. It's hard to bring two congregations together when many churches are segregated to this day. But Matt and Jamel are owning the vision that God has given them, owning what the fragrance that they have to pour out into the world. They're owning their perfume. They're pouring it out. And it is a sweet-smelling fragrance that's filling up the city of Louisville. I mean, it is gorgeous. Unbelievable. So in my life, uh, I'm 45 years old. I've been a pastor for about 20 years. I've been a writer for, I don't know, maybe three or four or five, six years, something like that. But there's been moments in my life where I've been encouraged to own who I am. I'll never forget sitting across the table from my friend Steph Spencer. Steph encouraged me to start a blog. This was maybe, I don't know, four years ago. And I had a lot of reasons why I shouldn't do it. And she basically said that they were all sort of silly and that I just needed to do it. I needed to own my gift of being a writer and put it out there. And I had no idea how how it was going to go, you guys. At that point, I had no reason to believe that anyone would read my blog. But I started writing stuff that would delight people. I decided that my mojo was not going to be to create a blog that had all kinds of you know, debate and that uh, clickbaited every, you know, important rising star and created all kinds of conflict. I wanted to delight people by telling stories of my actual life. So I created a blog called The Actual Pastor, living my life as is instead of as if. And I started just writing the honest stories of my life as real and ugly as it sometimes was and as beautiful and joyful as it sometimes was. And over time, it created a following that some of you started to read it. And then I would get emails from people that uh, were from all over the spectrum, people that had grown up in the church, but many people that had not grown up in any kind of a church or who had been burned very badly by church. And they would say things like, your blog is my, my connection with God. It's my sanctuary. It's my return back to God. And I didn't know how to take that. You know, at first, like, wow, that's unbelievable. But what was happening that I now know is that I had the courage to pour my perfume out, knowing that there were some reasonable reasons not to do it, but I did it anyway. And then there came a time where I had an idea to write a book, um, and there's lots of reasons why I shouldn't have done it. I had a full-time job as a pastor at the time. I still do. I'm still a full-time pastor. Um, three little kids at the time, and there was no time to do this book, but I knew I had to do it. And so I would get up at five in the morning and I would sit at this little spot. Um, it was dark outside, but I would sit at this little spot in our kitchen and I would, I would write for about an hour a day before the kids woke up. And I would just do that day after day after day after day after day. And the book started taking shape. And now that the book is out, I'm starting to get Again, I mean, I'm starting to get word back that um, it is a sweet-smelling fragrance uh, in the world of the people that are reading it. So I got an email um, a couple of days ago from a person named Lisa who lives in Indiana. She's a new friend. 
And she and her friend Janet have been leading a group of people at their church through my book, Beginnings. And she wrote me this long email full of some of her own stories, which I won't share, but also some other stories from the people in the group, which I won't share because they're personal. But that um, basically that all of these people are walking into new beginnings. And it was a very encouraging email. Then she ended the email by saying this. She said, Steve, I want to encourage you to own your words on how they are sent out into the world. I know that sounds wrong, but if you're following the gift, own that. If you're following your gift, own that. It is from God and the seeds being scattered are beyond measure. So there's a way in which, um, Lisa, you really gave me a huge encouragement to keep preaching, to keep writing, to keep recording this podcast. Because in some mysterious way, me pouring my perfume out into the room beyond reason and um, past all the reasonable reasons why I shouldn't do it is creating some beautiful fragrance in the world. So I'm going to keep writing. I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep doing my podcast. I'm going to be less apologetic about it. I'm going to be more bold about what I do and when I do it and um, celebrating the fact that it is getting out there in the world. So I want to say thank you, Lisa, for giving me a big encouragement. And then I want to turn around and give you all, listeners, to this good word, a huge encouragement to do the work that it takes to find out what your perfume is that you've been saving and then find the right environment for you to pour that out. Some people won't get it. Some people will come up with a reason why you shouldn't have spent it that way. But I'm telling you, the world needs you to buy that perfume, your gift, and then to pour it out. To buy it, to own it, and then to pour it out so that you can be a sweet-smelling fragrance in your life, in your world. This is what it's about, you guys. So maybe you're a stay-at-home dad, and you need to see your time with your kids as your perfume. You're going to play with those kids and teach those kids, and it's going to be exhausting and sometimes thankless, but this is your perfume. Maybe you're a leader of a huge organization and there are reasonable reasons for you not to use your gift this way, but you know you've been wired up this way and you know that your perfume is leadership and you need to pour it out for the good of the world and you need to stop pretending that you don't have this gift. You do have it. Maybe you're a pastor I remember when I was a pastor of a large church, I was the associate pastor, and it was a great church. I still love this church, but there was this stirring in my soul that I needed to start a different church, that I needed to become a senior pastor and start it. And I remember meeting with this other senior pastor, and I was feeling all kinds of angst. I was saying, how can I leave my church? I love it isn't it arrogant to think that I can be a senior pastor that, I mean, isn't, shouldn't I just be patient and wait? And he looked at me and he said this, I'll never forget this. He said, you know, I think the apostle Paul 
needed to have a little ambition in order for him to plant all those churches. And that was not a bad thing. It was a good thing. And so you perhaps need to own the reality that you're a senior pastor and go out and do it. Now that scared the pants off of me. And it took a couple more people to really speak into me. I remember this leadership coach, uh, she was telling me at this at this specific juncture when I wasn't quite ready to name it, she was like, I think it's time for you to name it. I've heard you for weeks and weeks now. It's time for you to name that it's time to go and it's time to start this new thing. And I wasn't ready and I didn't feel ready, but I knew she was right. And so the next day I, I walked into that office um, with the senior pastor that I loved and the board person that I really respected. And I said, I don't know what this means, you guys, but I really think it is time for me to say it. It's time for me to name it. It's time for me just to say it, that I need to be a senior pastor and I need to start a new church. And you guys, it f- and they responded so sweetly and so well. So I, I was blessed in that. But they might have responded differently. They might have responded that that was unreasonable, that that was arrogant, that that was extravagant. Didn't matter, you guys. Now we're two years in and I can't imagine not starting that church, Genesis Covenant Church. I can't imagine So maybe you're a pastor and you're being called to do something different and you know it, you know it. So work the channels, do the right thing, leave well, but do not hang on to that perfume too long. Find the environment where you can pour it out. Maybe you're a recovering alcoholic and you have someone that you need to sponsor. Own the fact that you have a little sobriety behind you and you can do it. Maybe you're a writer, maybe you're an artist, maybe you're a musician or a teacher. I don't know what it is for you, but you need to identify the perfume that you have and then you need to own it big time, my friends. Own it. Be who you are. Pour your perfume out into the world and be a blessing. Be like Mary and it's so interesting I think Mary inspired Jesus to walk into Jerusalem and own who he was, which is the ultimate gift to the world. He walked to his death knowing that it was going to come. He did it anyway. And I think seeing Mary pour out her perfume and um, in such an extravagantly loving way helped Jesus own who he was. And isn't that amazing? And we can be those kind of people. When we own our gifts, we inspire other people to own their gifts. So let's be people who own who we are, who pour out our perfume, and who make the room in which we're living a beautiful, sweet-smelling fragrance of life. I hope you're in it with me in this one. Thanks so much for listening, as always. I'm so glad you're on the journey with me. I'll end with what I end with every week, which is our mantra. We are dust and breath. We're limited and limitless. We're human and holy, and we are in it together. Thanks, my friends, and we'll see you next week.